0: Dr. Ross is presently director of laser and cosmetic dermatology unit at Scripps Clinic in San Diego. He's a frequent lecturer at national and international uh, meetings of cutaneous laser medicine. He also serves as on editorial board of two major dermatologic journals. Dr. Ross is the immediate past president of the American Society for Laser Medicine and Surgery. He has special research interest in laser skin surfacing or resurfacing, photodynamic therapy, non-ablative skin remodeling, laser treatment of leg veins, laser treatment of acne, laser treatment of hair reduction in dark skin patients, or just about anything else that has to do with a light source. He is the author of over 50 articles and seven book chapters. As a consultant and researcher, Dr. Ross is presently investigating novel approaches to lipolysis, as well as conducting comparative trials of intense pulse light and laser sources in skin rejuvenation and clinical other clinical applications. Please help me welcome Dr. Ross.
1: Thank you, Greg. It's fun to be out here again uh, over at the, the meeting. It's been a great meeting. It's the parts I've seen. Good crowds. So that's good. We'll try to make it a little fun since I think this is the last part of the meeting. So we'll try to end it with a little light. I don't like using things you can't plug in. So all those medications we heard about in the last lecture, great stuff. But you can't plug them into cycling into electric outlets. I'm not sure how effective it really is. So, you know, when you, when you use lasers, the first thing you want to do is ask yourself you know what things do you really want to treat so if you're going to choose lasers or pick lasers and enjoy lasers in your practice the first thing to do is decide what things come into your practice that you want to treat and the first thing that comes into my mind are red and brown spots and so you want to have a technology that matches those applications so you want to look at your demographics determine what's the best type of device to have because these these are very expensive devices most these devices run from thirty thousand to hundred fifty thousand dollars so, you want to pick the right ones. And then you have to determine whether you want to do non invasive procedures or invasive procedures. So, for example, do you want to do liposuction or laser liposuction, or do you want to confine the practice to non ablative procedures, which frankly I enjoy most because the risk is very small. So, you know, presently we're doing pretty well, but the future even is going to be, I think, more exciting. One of the problems with laser technologies now, and you probably notice that if you go to exhibits at various meetings, there's too many choices. You know 15 years ago we only had about four vendors, maybe about five or six different devices. Now we have hundreds of devices, at least 20 different intense pulse light devices alone. So it becomes very difficult and challenging to know what to pick. One of the conundrums that comes up and when you go to talk to manufacturers they want to tell you well you need an IPL or you need a laser and one is better than the other. The skin really doesn't care for the most part how the light gets there, or what type of light gets there. It really just matters what it sees as far as wavelength of the light and the pulse duration. The rest of it, frankly, the skin doesn't care what you had on the other side. It doesn't care whether you bought an IPL or whether you bought a laser. There's certainly advantages to both in different uh, venues, different contexts, but overall, you can do some of this with both different devices. So when you look at skin, and you look at treating different uh, skin problems with laser or any light-based technology, you really only have to know the absorption spectra or how well different chromophores absorb light for three different parts of the skin. So it's not that uh, difficult. You have to know melanin, blood, and water. So if you know how those typical chromophores react with different light-based technologies, you can actually determine what's gonna happen most of the time. So if you have a basic understanding of some of the physics here, you can actually understand your device better and teach it to do more things than maybe it was not even intended to do. So this is the spectrum you really have to know, or this graph you should know. Just like a cardiologist knows EKGs, just like a neurologist looks at EEGs, you really need to know this graph. You need to know what the various spectra are for three chromophores, water, this blue line as a function of wavelength, you need to know melanin, this black line, and then hemoglobin. So if you just look at this, for example, you would say you need to have a visible light technology, for example, green-yellow light, if you want to treat vascular lesions, simply based on this graph. And you, obviously, you wouldn't want to treat anything uh, that water would be the chromophore visible light because nothing would happen and that makes sense because in our common everyday life we know if we shoot visible light through a glass of water it goes right through. So just a fundamental understanding of this graph, in fact just carrying this around or having it in a little book when you walk around or even attaching it to the side of the laser is oftentimes helpful. So just a quick little primer on laser tissue interactions because I think it's a foundation for the rest of the talk. Basically three or four different things happen every time you apply a light-based technology to the skin. And the first thing you have to know is how the light gets the target. And basically we have a delivery device, a handpiece, whether it's an IPL sapphire window, or whether it's a laser handpiece, the light has to hit the skin. And usually about 60% or 70% of it will go into the skin. Once it gets into the skin, it bounces around, almost like a pinball on a pinball machine. And some of the light is absorbed and some of it actually bounces right back out of the skin. But some of it's gonna be absorbed and depending on what color light you have and what chromophore you have, you'll have some very good absorption in some areas. And sometimes it will be spatially selective. So for example, if you're treating uh, telangiectasia and you use a yellow light technology, like a pulse dye laser, the yellow light will bounce through the skin And when it hits a vessel, it will be strongly absorbed. And then, because it's strongly absorbed, the light is converted to heat. But it's only converted to heat in that local area where the blood vessel is. You have this extremely localized heating, spatially localized heating, for a very short period of time. And that's really the magic of laser, is having this very precise spatially localized heating, particularly when you're using, for example, visible light technologies for red and brown spots. And finally, the temperature goes up, and then, depending on what the response is to that time-temperature combination, you're going to damage the target. And all of our targets are sensitive to both time and temperature. And that's intuitive just from common life experiences. If you touch a hot iron for a quarter of a second, you don't really burn your finger. But if you touch a hot iron for five or six seconds, you actually can burn your finger. So it's a combination of time and temperature. And this is, again, just a, a little pictorial graph of that cascade of events, so the laser, comes down, the optical properties of the tissue determine how the light propagates through the tissue. Then depending on the color and the pulse duration, you get a temperature elevation. So that's the critical thing to know. And generally speaking, as your exposure time goes up, you have a more calm and cooler reactions. And as the exposure time goes down and the power density goes up, you have a more violent, localized, and extreme heating type of laser reaction. Now what's happened over the last several years is there's been, a movement toward less invasive procedures. 15 years ago, everybody, or not everybody, but many people were doing a lot of invasive laser procedures, primarily laser peels with the carbon dioxide laser and the YAG laser, and they actually worked quite well, but the downtime was onerous and there was course risk of infection, scars, bleeding, and hypopigmentation. So what's happened over the years is we've moved into using less aggressive lasers. A lot of non-ablative technologies, whether they're fractional technologies where water is the chromophore, or whether they're pulse dye lasers, IPLs, or KTP lasers. There's a big movement to kinder, gentler procedures, and I think that's largely because uh, we have those technologies available, and most patients can tolerate a day or two of downtime, but perhaps they can't tolerate a week or so of downtime. So Skin rejuvenation largely has gotten easier and largely has gotten safer because if you go back 15 years ago... A lot of things have changed. Gas is more expensive. Can't find you can find a payphone. You couldn't. You can find one then. You couldn't now. And we did a lot of laser resurfacing. But what happened was laser resurfacing got a bad reputation because we had a lot of problems. And some of you probably have seen patients from 10 or 15 years ago that were aggressively peeled with the CO2 laser. You either have hypertrophic scarring, hypopigmentation, maybe had some infections, and that really almost killed. Uh, laser resurfacing. but It's been brought back largely by fractional technologies. And these are the, some of the things that happened. Uh, scarring was not that uncommon. It was fairly uncommon, but it was not uncommon enough. In fairly well-publicized cases, we're on 60 Minutes and prime time in 2020 in the mid-90s, and really gave the CO2 light laser a bad name. So bad a name that most devices and companies that use CO2 technology oftentimes won't call it a carbon dioxide laser. They'll call it another name like a Fraxel repair or a Active FX or Deep FX and if people ask if it's a CO2 laser, the company oftentimes will say yeah it kind of is but not like it was before. The other thing we had more problems with was this sort of irregular pigmentation. A lot of unusual pigmentation. Patients were having melasma that was worsening, striping with certain types of lasers with a scanner. So a lot of problems. But this is really what almost destroyed resurfacing completely was this hypopigmentation. And almost everybody who lives in a southern climate who's seen somebody aggressively resurface has probably seen a patient like this where there's a line of demarcation between the treated and the untreated skin. So now we're looking for the easy button. Frankly, I am too. I think we all want it to be easy, just like the Staples ad. We want our patients to be happy. We want to do kinder, gentler procedures where our benefit to risk ratio is very, very high. So this is a traditional CO2 procedure from 15 years ago. This is the ultra-pulse CO2 laser. It's a carbon dioxide laser. and You see we're confluently uh, heating the skin with a scanner. So these pulses are quite short. The thermal damage is not extreme, but it's a long procedure, and it requires a lot of anesthesia, and it's not as popular as it was before. And one of the reasons it's not so popular is because this is what the patients look like the next day. And a lot of patients simply won't go through this type of recovery. Uh, If I took everybody in this room and said, how many people will do this today? Or how many people's mothers or grandmothers will do this today? Probably most of them wouldn't do it. But if we had something that was a little kinder and gentler, perhaps they would if it offered reasonable benefits. But you got good results. So the real issue is, can we still get or achieve good results? and still have a manageable recovery time with minimal risk as far as infection, hypopigmentation, scarring, and pain. That's the real challenge, and we haven't really met the challenge completely, but I think we've gone a long way to getting there. This is what the histology leads to look like after one pass CO2 resurfacing. There was epidermal damage confluently, 100% of the skin surface area was damaged, and there was a little fine of papillary thermal damage. And it actually worked quite well, and I still do one pass confluent CO2 resurfacing I think it's a good procedure but it has to be done in the right patient and the patient has to be able to tolerate about 10 days of downtime and this is what you had you would have pre-treatment you'd have the soloastosis and that's what really makes people wrinkle if you look under the microscope it says elastosis under the microscope that gives you that wrinkled look and it would be replaced after the procedure by this fresh zone of horizontally oriented uh, collagen So there are two ways we really decrease the morbidity with peeling procedures. One is reduce the depth. So rather than going all the way into the dermis, just take a part of the epidermis off. And secondly, and most exciting thing that's been done in the last five years is fractionating the injury. Just taking the injury and making pixels. Rather than heating heating the skin everywhere, just heat the skin here and there, just like little pixels on a computer screen or like aerating your lawn. So this is another graph you need to know. This is just water. This is water. Absorption on the y-axis, and this is wavelength on the x-axis, and basically looking at this graph You can determine whether you're using an ablative technology, which means you're removing skin. We always use that term ablation It's really kind of a bad term. Ablation just means remove, and if it's not ablative, you're not removing anything So the non-ablative technologies, the wavelengths are down in here right in here where there's not so good water absorption. Our ablative wavelengths are the CO2 laser, erbium YAG laser, and the erbium YSGG laser, and non-ablatives are 1540, 1440, and 1320. So non-ablative wavelengths aren't absorbed as well, so you tend to get heating, but not vaporization. So again, one way we can reduce morbidity is just reduce the depth of the procedure. You saw the histology before where I showed the full epidermis being damaged. Now I'm just showing you only damaging half of the epidermis. This is with an Erbium YSGG laser. It's not quite as uh, coagulating as the CO2 laser. It's called the Pearl, that's the brand name. It's the only Erbium YSGG laser out there. It's sort of a hybrid between Erbium YAG and CO2. And this is a a video of it being done. Anybody have the Pearl in the audience? Anybody heard of it before? Of people out there. So it's, it's a nice procedure. It's a one pass procedure. It can be done with a topical anesthetic and a little cold air. It's generally a three to five day recovery. It's a mid epidermal peel. So it's a nice peel. Most of the patients for, uh, that you would treat would be age maybe 35 to 55. It's not an aggressive peel. Or somebody who maybe wants to take a baby step into the peeling world and doesn't want a big aggressive resurfacing procedure. It's a reasonable option for those patients. And these are the types of results you can have. This is just before treatment. And then this is one day after the first treatment, and then finally, uh, 28 days after two treatments. So there's good results, but the skeptic in the audience might say, well, I could have done that with an IPL or another device that would have targeted pigment specifically, and that's probably true. Uh, The one exception being some of the fine lines, I think, are improved here that might not have improved had you used just an IPL or another technology that targeted blood and pigment. Now you really have to understand this little picture here because this sort of is a nice little overview of the different types of wounds we create where water is the chromophore. In other words, where water is the target. This is traditional resurfacing. We would actually treat uh, the, let me go back here. We would treat the entire area across the skin. Then we have macro spot resurfacing where we treat areas but they're kind of broad injuries that are superficial. This is like the active FX. Then we have non-ablative fractional resurfacing. We have these deep, hot cylinders that go down in the skin, and that's like the Fraxel Restore, the Palomar 1540, the Sinusure Firm. These are really nice technologies because there's very little downtime. And then finally, more recently, we have ablative fractional resurfacing where we dig really deep holes into the skin with a lot of vaporization, sometimes some bleeding, with good outcomes, but certainly some downtime. Now, just taking the procedure we did before, and now taking the same laser, and now we decrease the density, Now look what we're doing. It looks like the patient we had several slides before, but now you can see there's gaps. In other words, even though we're resurfacing the skin, you can tell just from that picture, we're not resurfacing 100% of the skin surface area, but more about 60%. And simply by heating a portion of the skin, but not heating the entire breadth of the skin, the skin has an amazing capacity to heal. And we didn't really know that. I mean, I'd say if you would have told me this 10 years ago, was this a good idea? I would say probably not, it wouldn't work, or we'd have side effects. But it turns out that you can put holes in the skin, like aerating your lawn, and the skin will behave quite well so long as the density and the depth are not excessive. Now there are three ablative fractional technologies. We'll talk about ablative fractional technologies first, although they kind of wandered onto the scene last. CO2, Erbium YSTG, and Erbium YAG. And there are advantages and disadvantages to each. Does anybody do any fractional ablative resurfacing? Yeah. There are are three popular systems out there. There's the Fraxel Repair, the Deep Active FX, and there are a lot of other systems, the Palomar, Erbium Y, Erbium YAG, the Pearl uh, uh, Fractional, and there are a few others out there too. one of the problems with fractional technologies is you have to understand all the terminology. There's lots of different terminology and different companies use different terminologies. The bottom line is you wanna know how many microbeams per centimeter squared per pass you're really making. In other words, if you know the total number of holes or the total number of cylinders that you're creating per centimeter squared, you'll be okay. And you really wanna kinda of keep track of what you're doing. One of the problems with fractional remodeling is we're treating by recipe. You know, when we used to treat with lasers, you treat to an endpoint. So if you're treating, for example, a blood vessel with a pulse eye laser, you wanna see the blood vessel either turn blue or disappear. When you're doing fractional remodeling and you're putting holes into the skin, you can't keep up with the number of holes. I mean, because once you start putting 30 holes down, your eye can't tell if it's 30 holes or 50 holes or 100 holes. So if you keep hitting the same area over and over and over again, you don't really know where you are unless you're keeping up with it in your head mentally. And that's why we're having some scars now with some fractional techniques. You're gonna see a lot more scarring. It's on the internet now. Somebody was showing me their iPhone yesterday, three new scars from a particular device. And these are going to be bad things that are going to happen because people are actually putting too much heat with fractional technologies in too short a time and too small a volume. And that's going to create some big problems. So if you're careful and you keep up with where you are, just like mowing the grass, if you just keep mowing over the same area, you can have some problems. The same way here, you want to make sure you kind of keep up with how you lay laid down those pulses. These are what the wounds look like with a fractional CO2 laser. This happens to be the fractional repair, but it could be another laser. These are really pretty deep holes. You can go down to several hundred microns down, and the wounds are typically about 100 to 400 microns wide. And you just put hole after hole down. You can see, if you kept going over and over again, let's see here. If you kept going over and over again, you could have some problems. In other words, if these holes get closer and closer together, you'll start to have confluent damage and you'll have scarring. And there's some pretty well-publicized scars now on the internet from people placing their holes too close together and having too many holes all together. This is what the healing's like after a fractional CO2 treatment. This is right after treatment. 48 hours later, the wound is already healing. And by three months, rather than seeing that zone of fibroplasia like we did before that went all the way across, it's like a tornado of fibroplasia, a little tornado geometry of fibroplasia. And the real issue is can you achieve the same types of results with fractional, ablative or non-ablative technologies that we did with confluent technologies. We went across the whole skin. And the answer is probably yes for some things, maybe not for others. I think acne scarring, it really does work well. Wrinkles maybe not quite as well as the more traditional resurfacing technologies. But you get good results. This is from Dr. Zachary over at UCI. This is before treatment. This is after treatment with a fractional CO2 laser. And the nice thing is a patient healed in about five to 10 days versus 10 to 14 days. This is a video just showing what it looks like as this fractional CO2 laser goes over the skin. It's pretty neat. These are about 100 microns, each little circle, and you can see the skin actually contract and shrink right in front of your eyes, which is pretty neat. This is the other technology, this is the Deep Active FX, and this is creating two types of wounds. So one type of wound is a deep wound that goes narrow and, super, narrow and deep, and the other wound is superficial and broad. So this is a technology called Total FX. We're creating two types of wounds, a deep wound like stabbing a sword into the ground and another wound almost like a lily pad or a frisbee on the pond type of wound. So there's a lot of creative ways to fractionate these wounds and to create different types of wounds that should be actually specific for a particular type of application. So for example, if you're treating pigment, you would want more broad superficial wounds. And if you're treating acne scarring, for example, you want to break up the acne scar by creating deep cylinders. So you really want to match the application to the technology. This is what the more superficial wound looks like as part of the deep active FX system. It's sort of a broad wound about a millimeter uh, and a third across and this is the deep FX. This wound is actually quite deep as you can see it goes down several hundred uh, microns. So you can create different wounds with different systems and one of the problems is if you look at an exhibitors booth or you go to one of the manufacturers, you really wanna know what the histology looks like of these wounds and of course the manufacturer won't be able to tell you that. You have to know really specifically how that laser is gonna create a different wound so you get the right device for what you're trying to treat. So you really wanna get the right device so you know exactly the parameters are gonna create what type of wound. This is the competitor, the Deep FX, is showing the same sort of shrinkage you saw before. So there are lots of ways to skin a cat and there are lots of competing technologies out there that are sort of doing about the same thing. So when you pick a laser that's going to be a fractional ablative laser, pick one that's going to give you good value, one that's going to give you good results and create the types of wounds that you need to create. These are some of my own patients. This is Wrinkles Before and After Deep FX or Fractional CO2. Not tremendous results, but improvement. And that's one of the concessions you make with fractional technologies. The results aren't always fantastic, but one of the advantages is the risks are manageable for most patients as, as long as you don't over-treat. And number two, you can treat off the face. So with non-fractional technologies, we basically pres- confine most of the treatments to the face unless we went very, very light. With fractional technologies, you can be a little more aggressive and still do some neat things for wrinkles and pigment on the neck, chest, and arms. This is just another competing system. This is the Pearl and the Pearl Fractionals. So this is the Erbium YSGG technology, creating two types of wounds, a more superficial frisbee on the pond-like injury and a deep injury over here. Same thing over here. So this is one of my own biopsies from a study. You see it creates this deep, sort of aerating your lawn type of injury. This is the healing after just a few days. This is a video of the Pearl Fractional. And all of these fractional devices start to sort of look the same. They create these little tiny microspots across the skin. And you'll see it go across the skin. And again, you have to keep up with how many dots you're laying down per area because the machine won't keep up with that. The machine won't tell you where you put those holes. So if you forget where you are and you keep going back to the same area, the same area, laying down more and more holes, you can get into some significant problems after a while. Here's another device. This is an Erbium YAG fractional device. The laser actually is here in the handpiece. And these are the types of wounds you create. Similar sort of thing you've seen before. This is before treatment. This is about two weeks after treatment. This is about three days after treatment. So generally speaking, about four to six days the patients can reapply makeup, which is what I call the sort of interval of downtime. So again, depending on whether you use a CO2 laser, an Erbium YAG laser, or an Erbium YSGG laser, you get different ratios of coagulation to ablation. An Erbium YAG laser gives you a very clean hole with very little coagulation. The CO2 laser gives you the most coagulation with the least ablation, and the Erbium YSGG is in between. Now nobody knows what the best geometry is for these wounds. You do get more bleeding with less thermal damage, so if you do an Erbium YAG injury, you'll get a lot more bleeding in general than you will with the CO2 laser. Now, non-ablative fractional is more popular than ablative fractional, because if I took everybody in this room, all of us could do a non-ablative fractional procedure today. And you could still get on the airline, get on your plane, nobody's gonna hold off and say, gee, do you have swine flu, do you have the measles, is something wrong with you? They're gonna let you on the plane, you won't look that bad. So the, the really compelling advantage of non-ablative technologies is that more your patients can do it. If they're busy college students with acne scars, busy real estate agents, busy lawyers, busy PAs, busy physicians, whatever, you're more likely to be able to sell them a non-ablative procedure. And again, you go back to these wavelengths, to so the non-ablative wavelengths here. And this is what the wounds look like. Rather than holes, they're just hot cylinders. So a different type of geometry. And this shows how the wounds heal. This is the fractal Restore device. So one hour later, you're already getting some healing. You can see the wound starting to heal. Six to eight hours later, the wound's healing. More, more, and you get this little necrotic debris that comes off like a little coffee ground on the surface. This is just 12 to 14 hours later. So these wounds actually heal relatively briskly and that's one of the reasons you can actually come out of the procedure and not look very bad. You won't have the bleeding and oozing that somebody has typically after an ablative procedure. So these are nice procedures. Probably people in this audience, I'm sure, do some non-ablative restore treatments with the Fraxel or one of the other competitors. And these are nice treatments because, again, for every five patients can do this procedure, only probably one will do an ablative fractional procedure. That's at least my experience. This is what the wounds look like. Rather than having holes, you just have hot cylinders. This is the Palomar fractional device. This is a Parkinson's patient. She didn't want an aggressive procedure, so we did a non-ablative procedure. And all she did was get a little red. That's not really hemorrhage there, it's just uh, a little bruising here, a little bright red petechiae underneath. So it was a nice procedure for her. This is the Fraxel Restore. See there's no bleeding, just some erythema and some swelling. It's a very easy procedure to do, typically just a topical numbing medicine and some cold air, perhaps some Motrin. If you have a very pain intolerant patient, you may have to use some narcotics, but most patients actually can drive and drive back with these non-ablative fractional treatments. And I think they're pretty good results. They're not great results. Depends on the application. I think for acne scars, the results are pretty good. Probably nothing better, particularly when you look at the risk. Uh, But the risk of problems are very low. Now for melasma, uh, originally there was a lot of enthusiasm for non-ablative fractional technology for melasma. Most of that enthusiasm has waned. Like every new technology for melasma, there's a lot of uh, enthusiasm at first. And then when the patients come back, oftentimes it either worsens or it relapses or it's persistent. So there's still no home run for melasma. These are some results. This is a patient from Palm Desert before and after doing a non-ablative fractional technology. So there's improvement in tone, texture, and pigment. And again, very little risk. The nice thing is when you go home, after you treat these patients, you don't have to worry about antibiotic prophylaxis. You don't have to worry about the patient calling with bleeding or oozing. Even if they scratch the wound, it's probably not gonna get infected. All you see are little tiny micro dots coming off the skin uh, several days later. So it looks like in the surface all the little micro dots. Now what we're doing now, which is sort of novel, we're now combining ablative and non-ablative fractional technologies, trying to get the best of both worlds, because ablative technologies do give a little bit more kick to the procedure. If you could have that same kick and robustness of an ablative procedure, but still have the, the elegance and the low recovery time of a non-ablative procedure, that'd be a nice mix. So that's what we've done, sort of like Batman and Robin, trying both, so what we do is we combine ablative wounds and non-ablative wounds in the same treatment. This is the CO2 laser, which is sort of the alternative because it gets ablative and non-ablative in one wound. But with one of the other technologies we're using, we're doing a non-ablative handpiece with a non-ablative wavelength. Then we come back with an ablative wavelength. We have this sort of random pattern of ablative and non-ablative injuries, just like this. This is ablative, we have the holes, and this is non-ablative, where you simply have the grooves of heat and that's a nice combination, we're getting pretty good results, and again minimizing the downtime and trying to minimize the risk of infection. As a result, this is a pre and eight days post, the non-ablative-ablative combination. Not a spectacular result, but certainly some improvement in tone texture in some of the lines, and a fairly wrinkled lady. Now this is a new technology that Fraxel just came out with, it's called the Restore Dual. Anybody heard of this one before? It's just come out pretty recently. So. What Fraxel had is they've had two different techniques now called Sultan Medical. They had the Restore, which has sort of been around for a while, the non-ablative sort of fractional champ. It's done a good job for five years. They had the Repair, which is a more aggressive, more painful, but oftentimes better result CO2 laser. What they wanted to do was try to get the pigment and get some of the improvement that they could with the Repair, but with less downtime. So they added a second wavelength. So now you have 1540 in the device and also added 1927, which is a little bit better absorbed. And so what now you have a system that does two things and what you do is you mix and match the two wavelengths. You do four passes with one wavelength back and forth. You do four passes with another wavelength simply by doing a switch. And so what you do is you can get the best of both worlds. You get the Thulium laser, which is 1927, and that goes after the pigment and tone and texture and then the deeper penetrating uh, 1540, gets more of your scarring and wrinkles. So again, you're trying to get the best of both worlds, get the more superficial pathology and the deeper pathology, but all non-ablative, no bleeding, A little bit of crusting, but no bleeding. So that was the goal with this, and it's only been out for a month or two, so the verdict is still out. I don't have the device. I I used it yesterday at a a workshop, but there's a lot of enthusiasm out there, but again, it's only been two months, so the enthusiasm is always uh, sometimes uh, premature sometimes, but some of my friends who have it have had it for a few months say it's the best thing for pigment they've had, but we'll see what happens long-term. But it is a, a newer device with a wavelength that hasn't been used before, so I think that's a little bit exciting. This just shows sort of a panorama of the different types of wounds with the different type of wavelengths. This is the 1540, more traditional, Fraxel. This is the 1927, the new wavelength. This is CO2 superficial, and this is CO2 deep. So you can see by using different wavelengths, and different beam geometries, you can create lots of different wounds. And the real problem is we have so, like that buffet picture I showed earlier, we have so many different types of technologies that create so many different types of wounds now. Nobody has systematically examined these different wound types to really determine, for example, what's the best depth, what's the best density for certain applications. That's really unknown right now. Now this is a new device, I don't have it, it's called the E-Matrix. It's a radio frequency non-ablative or sub-ablative device. And so what it is, you have a handpiece, and it has little electrodes on it, several electrodes on the tip, and it creates wounds like this with radio frequency on the skin surface. And so this is a non-light-based technology that creates little spots on the skin, but using radio frequency with little tiny electrodes on the tip rather than light. These are some results before and after. This is what you look like before. Right after, you look like this. About a day after, and then about two days, you have about two or three days of what they call social downtime with these little crusts coming off. Again, I have not seen the device in real live action. These were courtesy of Dr. Michael Gold gave me these pictures. This is what the histology looks like. You have these hot areas of denatured collagen right under the electrode tip. But again, you're only damaging about 10% of the skin surface area, so it is a very fractional radio frequency type of technology. But this is a before and after, and the lighting, I think, is part of this, so I don't want to give too much credit to this, but there, there does seem to be some improvement here. I think some of it's lighting, but I think there is some real improvement. There's some excitement with this. Again, it's only been out for several months. I'm not sure how good it's going to be. So the reasons I like non-ablative remodeling, particularly with fractional devices, is low to no downtime, no bleeding, people like it, people generally are happy, and it can be combined with other modalities like Botox and fillers. Although some people will not do Botox the same time they do non-ablative fractional or ablative fractional remodeling because there have been reports of increased diffusion of the Botox if you do it the same time. So just a warning that there are people who have done Botox the same day as ablative and non-ablative fractional procedures and have had droopy eyelids, droopy mouth when injecting. So, has anybody encountered that before? In the audience, it hasn't been that common, but something that's been reported, just a little caution. So ideally, the ideal laser technology in a fractional, non-fractional way would enjoy dramatic results on the x-axis and low risk on the y-axis, which would be right here. So the old lasers we did, the old CO2 laser, had great results, but because we had higher risk, it would sit right in here. But as we go to fractional technologies, I think fractional technologies really are giving us a higher result rate to a lower risk rate. So we're, this is where you wanna be right here, dramatic results and then low risk. And I think the ablative and non-ablative fractional technologies are putting us in that direction. So who's gonna win the fractional wars? You've got non-ablative, ablative, you've got 20 or 30 different companies. I don't know who's gonna win, but there are a lot of uh, players out there. And one thing about fractional is, I think non-ablative fractional is pretty easy. I mean, most patients uh, certainly uh, can have an easy time of it with non-ablative fractional. I think if you're careful, it's certainly a procedure that you know certainly anybody in this room could do, and, and it's a good procedure, and if you keep up with where your pulses are, you're gonna be in good shape. So let's go out some grades on some of the rejuvenation technologies. Now, non-ablative technology, fractional, I give an A because I think it's so easy to do and people like it. Ablative fractional, I give an A-, minus only because a lot of people won't do it. So it might be a great procedure, but people generally won't do it. Conventionally resurfacing, I think, is still a great procedure, but it has more side effects. Visible light technologies, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, which means IPL, pulse dye laser, uh, KTP laser for brown and red spots, certainly I give it a really high grade. Uh, but for wrinkle improvement, not so good. But there is some wrinkle improvement as a lanyap, as an extra, if you do do these visible light technologies. I think most people in the audience would say, if you did four or five IPLs, for example, for pigment and red spots, you would say most patients also have at least a little bit of wrinkle improvement. So vascular lesions, there are lots of different ways to treat vascular lesions. We have alexandrite lasers, neodymium YAG lasers, IPL, pulse dye laser, KTP laser, diode lasers. IPLs, anybody here have an IPL, probably several IPL. IPL is now becoming probably the most popular device for vascular lesions, Pulse dye certainly was and still has a a great uh, record. But this is an example of if you change the cooling when you're treating any type of lesion with an IPL, you'll get more damage as you uh, increase the skin temperature. And this is just an example of one of the IPLs, this happens to be the BBL from Cyton. So you take the uh, filter, you slide it into the laser, into the IPL, I'm sorry, and then you go ahead and apply it against the skin surface and you'll see the vessels sort of gradually disappear there. There's a new laser, it's not that new now, it's about two years old. It's a pulsed dye laser combined with a YAG laser. So it's 585 or 595 plus 1064 nanometers. It's called Synergy from Sinusure. The idea is you can get the superficial lesion with the less penetrating yellow light. And then with the deep part of the laser, you can get the deeper lesion. So it's a sequential laser, you can go, 595 nanometers and there's a slight delay and you give 1064 nanometers. And again, the idea is getting the superficial vessels and the deep vessels all at one time. So you have yellow light first, that treats the superficial vessel and then the infrared light comes down later to get the deeper vessel. And the basis for that is that when you treat a blood vessel and heat it up, it actually goes from hemoglobin to methemoglobin and methemoglobin has more absorption by uh, 1064, so what you do here is you're changing the spectrum of the hemoglobin during the pulse and you convert the spectrum off to the right here a little bit, so the the basic thing going on here is you change the blood optical properties during the pulse so the neodymium mag laser works better for the second part of the pulse. And then the next following idea is you can get these deeper lesions, so a lot of people will see a port wine stain that's very deep like this and the concept here is you can get the deep part of it and also the superficial part by using this synergistic approach using two different wavelengths. Certainly, the Alexandrite laser has now been sort of reinvented as a vascular laser. Most of you probably have an Alexandrite laser out there doing hair removal. If you use the 8 mm spot with your Alexandrite laser, you can treat angiomas like this. The one caveat being that if you use your Alexandrite laser for pigmented, or particularly for vascular lesions, you have to be careful about the pigment. So, if somebody's darker skinned or tanned, uh, it's not a great choice. But if somebody's white like this and has a larger hemangioma that might be challenging to get with a pulsed dye laser, a laser like the Genolase or the Sinusure Apogee uh, with cooling is a nice way in one treatment to be able to treat these larger angiomas on the skin. So for vascular lesions, my favorite is the KTP laser. There's the Gemini, and there's other ones out there. I give it an A, Pulse dye Laser an A, IPL an A-, minus, simply because it's harder to navigate sometimes. Alexander Laser, I give a B. If the patient's light skinned, it works pretty well for vascular lesions. Uh, the A10 Diode Laser, a B. The Neodymium YAG is a great laser, but it's very hard to control, and you can easily get a scar if you're not careful. But it is the best laser for vascular lesions and very dark skin, or for very small vessels on the leg on the legs. Acne, now acne and lasers, uh, still a lot of controversy. Anybody treat acne with lasers here? Yeah, fair number. It, it's become more popular, I'm not sold on it, mainly because it's not predictable in my hands. You know, Sometimes we'll treat acne with a pulsed dye laser, it will improve, sometimes we'll add a little bit of amino acid or the lebulin acid to the mix, sort of the, the voodoo, the, the, the kind of uh, cauldron of different things that we try. But overall, I, I haven't been impressed, particularly when we have a pretty good Uh, staple of prescription drugs that work reasonably well, but some patients don't like taking prescriptions they don't like taking pills or they're becoming pregnant or want to get pregnant and there are some cases where laser technology is certainly helpful Uh, one is this device called Isolase, anybody have that out here the Estera device? It's a device that sucks the skin up and then it performs a light pulse at the same time for acne so you look here, what's happening here at the bottom you'll see this little greasy worm come out from the suction this is a video camera inside the machine and you see this little sebum come right out. So that's very, very gratifying to see that. It makes people happy. Now is it a $30,000 Biore pad? I don't know, but it's kind of fun and kids like it because kids like to see all this come up and they like to see, they feel like they're invested in They'll probably take their minocycline more if they know that this is working because it kind of gets them engaged. So I think sometimes these physical modalities are good simply because they engage the patient and get them sort of interested in what they're doing. And there's so many of these acne treatments on the internet. If if you come up with something, you can do all kinds of neat things and make some money maybe, but there's so many different acne treatments. And really what you're trying to do with blood vessel with um, light-based technologies, target these different parts of the acne uh, uh, pathology. Either treat a blood vessel, heat the sebaceous gland, possibly heat the melanosome. So the problem with acne treatment and lasers is we don't really know exactly why it works, and it doesn't work every time. That's one of the problems. Not that prescriptions work every time too, but one of the problems with these modalities is insurance typically doesn't cover them. So you have a patient paying cash, and oftentimes after the cash is spent, the results can be disappointing. Now, there, are, there is one way to treat acne with light that works almost every time, and that's with very long application times of amino acid, or levulan. You leave it on for about four hours, and you use continuous wave red light, for about 20 minutes, you'll get a good result, but you'll get a lot of side effects. A lot of desquamation, a lot of peeling, a lot of hyperpigmentation. This is a patient from Japan, Dr. Ito. This is before treatment. This is six months after treatment. You see this perfect clearance here. And we're doing some of this at the Navy right now, some of my colleagues are, but the side effects are so severe, and if you keep taking the ALA and putting it on less and less time, like three hours, two hours, one hour, 30 minutes, the efficacy drops off, but the side effects get better. So then you're kind of in a quandary. The problem is there's no way to get selective fluorescence in the sebaceous gland uh, at this point without damaging the epidermis. Nobody's found the magic formula for that. There are ways to make it better, but nobody's been able to do it quite right yet. Hair removal, you know, hair removal is sort of stuck right now with lasers. We, we have good technologies out there, but I think everybody knows there are patients that they see in their practice, particularly women's chins that don't get better. They get better, but you get stuck. You keep trying higher fluences. There are a lot of women who get paradoxical laser-induced growth stimulation. Has anybody seen that on the cheeks? It's not uncommon. I'd say it's very common. In fact, if you have a dark patient with downy black hair, I'd say it's about a 70% chance if it's a young patient, they'll probably get some at least non-improvement or even uh, worsening of their hair. So one thing we did try to do, we took uh, two of Candela's lasers, the gentle YAG and the gentle LAZE, now they make it uh, sequential, the gentle MAX, but we put the wavelengths in at the same time. So we had a prism and put the alexandrite laser and the New YAG 1064 in the same pulse at the same time, and we did it on axillas, what we are trying to do here was get the same good results we were getting with the alexandrite laser, but some of the pigment sparing of the Nudium Miag laser. And it worked pretty well, but uh, Candela decided not to uh, build it. So right now you can just get the two wavelengths, but they're separate. You can't put it in the same handpiece. So. I think everybody's trying to find the magic formula for relatively painless hair removal, but there's still some challenging hair removal patients out there. Now, if you do a woman's bikini with dark hair and axilla, that's sort of a home run. I think most of those do quite well, but women's chins, men's back sometimes are very, very refractory to treatment. You do it, it gets better, 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 but there's a high relapse rate. So we really sell patients on maintenance, on laser hair reduction, not laser hair removal, and that seems to be more effective marketing and also patient satisfaction-wise. Now, this is a device that came out for pain relief with hair we call pneumatic skin flattening. Has anybody seen this device? It's called the Serenity device. Nobody has it in here? Yeah, it didn't really do so well. Candela bought off on it. So what the device does is it sucks the skin as it delivers the gentle lay's Alexandrite laser pulse. And it really does work quite well. I mean, it makes the, the skin feel better because as the skin gets sucked up, there's this sort of gate theory that decreases the pain. But the problem is it takes too long. You see how long it takes? I'm having to stop push, develop a vacuum, and then lay. So if you're doing a whole back, this is impractical. It just takes too long, because you have to hook it up. And so it really hasn't caught on. That's the big problem with it. It's kind of neat technology, though. Pigment, a lot of good ways to treat pigment. One of the most frustrating things to treat, though, in my practice is melasma in an Asian patient or a Hispanic patient or any patient. This is the Q-switch YAG laser before and after treatment. It's probably one of the safest ways to treat uh, pigment, but not always effective. Let's see here. So this is before treatment and after treatment. These are very nice results, but this is after several treatments with a Q-switched YAG laser. And I'll show you the video right here. You just go back and forth across the skin in a scanning pattern. This is 10 hertz, about three joules per centimeter squared, a six millimeter spot at 1064 nanometers. You just go back and forth, back and forth. Just a topical anesthetic. The endpoint's just redness. You use a Zimmer cooler top of anesthetic and the patient leaves. You do this every two weeks for about six treatments. And of course, at the same time, you're using hydroquinone, whatever you like, whatever type you like, maybe some hydrocortisone uh, combination product. And patients always get better, but there's a high relapse rate, very high relapse rate. So again, this is a therapy where the patients have to come back. And again, melasma is really like diabetes or hypertension. You, you don't cure it, you control it. I think I've come to that realization after 20 years. I thought maybe we'd be able to cure it, but it's very hard to cure, as most people in this room know. You can also use your pulse dye laser for pigment. There's a compression handpiece with the Candela laser that pushes the blood out, and then you can deliver laser energy to the pigmented lesion, and then it selectively treats the pigmented lesion. This is before treatment and after treatment. The other way you can use your pulse dye laser for pigment is just turn the DCD off. So if you take the DCD off and turn it off and lower the fluence at 10 milliseconds, you won't have purpura, and you'll still get the pigment. You just have to be careful not to do it on somebody with a tan. You can always do a test spot if you want to do that. The problem with the compression handpiece is it just takes effort to push it down, and if you don't push down, you'll get purpura. Does anybody have this compression handpiece, this little window with the candela laser? Yeah, not people use it. it takes, you gotta take a new handpiece out, you gotta push real hard, and if you do a whole face, you can't do it because it takes too long to push two or three seconds for each pulse. So there's some practical challenges with that device. Good theory, bad ergonomics. That's the same problem with that pneumatic skin-flattening device for pain, it sucks the skin up. It's great theory, bad practicality. Now the Long Pulse Alex is really good for pigment. This is the Long Pulse Alex laser, so this could be the sinusure Apogee laser or the Gentle lase. You use either a 12 or 18 millimeter spot or 15 millimeter spot from about uh, 10 to 20 joules per centimeter squared, turn the DCD off, and you get these types of results in one treatment. Now, this patient, we actually used a higher fluence with DCD, but now we're doing more, uh, no DCD with lower fluences, you can get very nice results. So if you have a, an Alexander laser out there, you can really use it for vascular lesions, pigmented lesions, and hair, all three. So you can really teach, in a sense, an old dog new tricks, and get more out of this very expensive equipment. This is showing using a CO2 laser for some uh, exophytic lesions. The CO2 laser is very nice for just removing severe keratoses. This is a laser you want to get some skill with because you can easily go too deep. Just showing how you can use a traditional old CO2 laser to vaporize lesions. So epidermal pigment lesions, I think the Q-switch technologies are great. I give them all A's. Long pulse... 532 is good. IPL is good, but when lesions become very, very, what I call low contrast, in other words, the difference between the pigment and the background skin becomes very low, it's very challenging to treat those patients. Tattoos, we're really not that good at treating tattoos. I mean, certainly Q-switch lasers work very well for black tattoos and for gang tattoos, but with very good professional tattoos with multiple colors, it's very challenging. There's a company called Freedom 2 inc which is a laser removable but permanent tattoo, unfortunately about 10 places have it right now, and this is what, the the idea was you take the ink, it would be in these little capsules, and so one treatment would blow the capsules up and the ink would go away, but you can't get this at many tattoo parlors, so it's impractical right now. The company just hasn't gotten the inks into the hands of the tattoo artist yet, but it makes sense if it would ever work. But so, you know, Q-switch lasers are great for tattoos, but a lot of them don't do well because they have too many colors, and then you have this half-treated tattoo, so that's a big problem, I'm sure every, in this audience who has used Q-switch lasers for tattoos knows what tattoos are difficult and which ones are easy, and it's a big challenge. So it's not the technology in this case, really, it's the the tattoo inks are just so challenging to treat. Skin contouring and tightening, this is a real controversial area. Uh, You know, can you really recontour and heat the skin from the surface without putting a hole in the skin, without doing laser liposuction or liposuction? I think it's like the emperor with no clothes. We have devices like Thermage, Titan, all these IPL, uh, deeper hand pieces uh, for deep heating, uh, Accent and other devices, but a lot of them just don't work that well. That's the problem. But there are some devices, I think, that really do hold some promise. These are devices that actually really put some energy deep into the skin in a very focal way. One is this device, it's a radio frequency device. It's not commercially available yet, it's called Primeva. and what it does is it has little electrodes that impale into the skin, a series of electrodes, and it heats the skin under the skin, almost like taking a bovie needle and sticking it right into the skin, and you create little wounds in the skin very deep. This is on the face. These wounds are about a millimeter large, and they're about a millimeter deep. This is the procedure being done. Now, each time this device goes off, 10 little holes are being put in the skin with a 30 gauge needle, so you can see it's not painless, you have to use some anesthesia here, but at the end you have hundreds of little holes in your skin with a radio frequency needle heating the skin very deep. So the concept here is really to achieve a non-surgical, relatively non-invasive facelift. And this one good result, this is probably their best result, the company has been bought by another company, so now it's been reinvigorated and I think they are going to be commercialized probably in the next year. There's another device called Ulthera, which is an ultrasound device. Just got FDA clearance for skin tightening five, six weeks ago. It's an ultrasound device that delivers very focal lesions deep into the skin. This is how it works. You can deliver wounds that are are five millimeters down and only a millimeter large. So the problem with light is light, you can't focus it that deep into the skin and create wounds this small. But look at this, this is actually it in a, a see that coagulation there? This is the ultrasound device. Little tiny wounds in there. So what it does, really delivers little tiny wounds of coagulation here. Bing, 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 bing. Anybody use this before? In any trials? It's, I think it's going to be a big device because it really does coagulate the skin, just like coagulating an egg white deep in the skin. Now, it does hurt. I've treated myself with it. And we did five patients in a clinical trial. But the real concept here is to really tighten the skin, not like Thermage, where it's a little bit of heating everywhere, but in a very focal, selective way to get a genuine skin tightening. The problem is you can get ulcers. It does hurt, and the algorithms are still being perfected. This is the Accent, you know, I, do probably somebody, anybody have one in the audience? Accent, it's an AMA device for skin heating. You take this radio frequency device and roll it around the skin. I'm not a big believer, but it's kinda cool. With all these devices, we're trying to heat the skin, and we're trying to drive the temperature up, and you can get a screen, about 40 degrees. So if you get the skin temperature up to 40 degrees with whatever skin tightening device you have, that's supposed to be sort of an endpoint. Now. Treating fat selectively would be really cool. What if we could just take everybody in this room, you could go have a Krispy Kreme and be guilt-free because we could come back and find the right laser device just to treat the fat. Well, there are some wavelengths that actually are selective for fat. There's 1200 nanometers, 925 nanometers, 1700 nanometers, but the ratio of fat destruction to water is only about 1.5 to one, so it's not that great. In other words, it can't tell the good guy from the bad guy that well, but there are some clever ways that I think we're gonna be able to treat fat in the future. One is laser liposuction. This is the slim lipo. Well, this is actually a laser at 924 nanometers being delivered through a fiber. You go back and forth, back and forth, and so it complements traditional liposuction. This is what it looks like. When you're heating, this is the 1064 nanometer laser. See, it's really just, not really boiling the fat, it's just creating bubbles. But the 924 is actually gradually heating the fat. But the problem with these devices is you have to take a cannula to get them into the fat. That's the problem. So that makes it an invasive procedure. It'd be great if somehow we get that device to the fat without sticking a hole into the leg or to the thigh or to your love handle. So that hasn't happened yet. But you can get some decent results. This is from Dr. Klein. This just shows a thermal camera, what's happening with laser liposuction. So basically, here's a a, a little thermal image. So the doctor is coming down, he's taking the cannula with the laser, and you'll see as he goes back and forth, back and forth, this is the neck of a patient, sort of like an image from that movie Predator about 20 years ago. Now we're going back and forth, back and forth, and you'll see the skin temperature start to go up, start to go up on this little graph here. But the idea here, again, it's tough because when you go back and forth and back and forth, you can see the skin starting to get a little hotter here on this little graph. You don't know, have when to stop. In other words, you can take a temperature meter on the surface, but that's measuring the skin's surface temperature. It's not really an accurate portrayal of what's going on under the skin. And there have been some burns with these because people have stopped going too long. If you don't move, it can be a problem. And you have a full thickness ulcer on the neck, that would be bad, that's happened. So these are neat technologies, but they really are best in the hands of people who are already doing liposuction, who understand how to move the cannula. So I think there's a lot of promise for these devices, but very experienced liposuction people haven't bought on. Uh, I don't do liposuction very often, I do it with my friend occasionally, a colleague who does more, and he's not sold on it yet, but there's a lot of marketing behind these labor, laser liposuction technologies. Finally, PDT, very popular, I think it's going to continue to be popular, I think it works great for actinic keratoses. probably not so great for acne. Uh, ultraviolet light, you can use the eczema laser, it makes a lot of noise. Anybody have an eczema laser in their practice? Yeah, it's pretty good. We have the raw medical eczema laser, there's also the Photomedics device, um, it's good. Uh, scars and keloids, uh, still have been problems, but we can still do some things. This is a typical patient, you use the pulse dye laser combined with the Q-switch YAG laser. So the Q-switch YAG gets the asphalt out after a motor vehicle accident, and the pulse dye laser reduces the red. And you could also use a fractional technology like Fraxel now, sort of the trifecta to improve scars. Well, a lot of the neat things to improve scars that we didn't have years ago. This is a combination of the pulse dye laser and fractional non-ablative technology for acne scars. This is right after pulse dye. This is right after the non-ablative fractional. And after three sessions, you go from here to here so you can get some nice results with these minimally invasive technologies to address scars and now we're really doing things with lasers it's a it's a layered approach deep heating for contouring medium depth heating for wrinkles and then superficial heating for red and brown spots that's sort of the algorithm that you go through and you you can combine these technologies with fillers and botox oftentimes which is nice too So this combination concept, for example, on this lady, she came with a mesolabial fold, a lot of brown spots. We did Q-switch alexandrite laser and IPL, and this is about two days later, and this is about uh, 10 days later. So she had correction with a filler here with radius, and she also had the red and brown spots uh, get better. So you can combine these things in the same session. The one caveat being Botox, although I still do Botox when I do non-ablative remodeling, uh, fractional, I probably will get burned occasionally if I do it. Nobody, I haven't had a problem with it, but there is this diffusion thing you might want to think about. Home-based therapy, last couple of slides here. This is my own leg being treated with a little home-based diode laser called the Trio. You can buy this now. It's uh, about $1,000. It's an 810 diode laser, and you basically, it takes forever, though, as you can see the little spots, about a potion stamp size, and it's about 300 milliseconds per pulse. You just go over your whole leg. My leg's hasn't, it's still got hair on it, but uh, if you're watching a sporting event, if you're a guy, or you can watch whatever you want, you can actually just uh, make your leg look better and be smooth and swim faster. <laughs> so I, you know, I envision one day we're gonna have all this home-based therapy stuff will be part of our little, you know, you'll go into your, your bathroom and you'll have your shaver. That'll be, you won't have a shaver because you'll just have this little device. You'll have this little uh, device here to do your uh, acne treatment. So you'll have this whole home Based remedy device that'll treat everything. You won't have to do anything else. You won't have to do all that other stuff. So you'll just have a home entertainment system. you also have a home improvement system for your skin. That's probably the future. So the lasers I use the most, the last three slides here. My favorite laser, my Michael Jordan laser, is my large spot KTP laser. I also like my pulse dye laser. My Q-switch Alexander laser, I use it the most for brown spots. Uh, long pulse Alex is my favorite laser for hair. I also have the dye laser, but I like the long pulse Alex because it's faster. No gel, no must, no fuss. Pulse dye laser is great for stria, if they're fresh red stria, great for anything that's red. Warts, it's pretty good if you hit them hard. Uh, Anybody use the pulse dye laser for warts? It's pretty good, you gotta gotta work at it, you gotta really make them red, you gotta make them hurt a little bit, and it works quite well. Non-ablative fractional is great. Ablative fractional is great, but not everybody can do it. Here's my wish list. These are things I think we do a horrible job of treating with lasers and light-based technologies. Melasma. Melasma is the most common thing I see that I treat poorly. I'm I'm a bad melasma doctor. I don't know, maybe y'all are better. I cannot get melasma, it's just I hate it. I've been hating it for 20 years. If I can find the cure before I die, it'll be a life well lived. Sebaceous hyperplasia. Uh, we don't do very well, I don't think. You can hypercate him, you can treat him with pulse dye, but it's such a common thing. And it's such, you know, there's somebody in this room right now who's troubled by sebaceous hyperplasia. We should have a support group for you because we don't treat it very well. Uh, better tattoo treatments. I had a lady on Thursday that came in, you know, really bad tattoo. I mean, they were just bad tattoos. She was changing her life, but the tattoos were going to be very difficult to treat. Too many colors. Very nice tattoos. Very well done tattoos which makes them harder to treat. A stria, I mean every woman after childbirth has a stria and we're just not good at treating them. And if something worked really well, I'd be treating stria right now. So we try non-ablative fractional technologies for it. Works sometimes, not so great, most of the time. Acne scars, we do okay, but we could do better. Warts, I mean, we're, we're constantly treating warts that keep coming back. We oftentimes you know, try bleomycin, pulse eye laser, CO2 laser. We still struggle. Post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, we need to do better. And pain management during all these procedures. We had a magic pill that would just make somebody drop out for maybe an hour, but no, no uh, uh, monitoring. That would be great too. So that's my wish list. The future, that's what we want to see. Optical diagnostics, that's going to be hot with lasers, so you, maybe one day you'll diagnose the tumor with light. You'll use photodynamic th- therapy to kill the basal cell carcinoma, and all the most surgeons will be sushi chefs at Benihana. That would be my dream. That's what I'm looking forward to. So the crystal ball, I don't know where we're going, but that's your uh, education for today. you graduated. Thanks a lot for attending. you all are- we we'll but if you've got a quick question, I'm happy to answer a few. Yes?
0: Um, does the new Fraxel Restore Dual, um, will it require multiple treatments?
1: That's a great question. We asked that question at the workshop. Vic Nalcar has more experience with that with anybody. He's generally doing two treatments about six weeks apart. That's what he's doing after using it for about a year.
0: And, and how long is the downtime?
1: Downtime, the crust stay on the skin for about six days. So. Real social downtime, maybe four days, two days if you really need, two extra days, six days if you really need to do something important like sell a house or something like that. Okay. Yes? We've got a Harmony, uh, an Alma device. Yes. I was wondering in the same day, can I treat first, my first pass with an IPL like uh, for the red vessels, the yes. roundest chromium, okay. and then second pass with like a non-ablative pixel head? Yeah, absolutely. For, for yeah, tone, I, texture, polishing? I do that all, all the time. Yeah, well, at, will you see improvement in dyschromia and the polishing if you do them both at the same you, time? You can, and that, that's actually a good combination. I have the almond device as well. You can use the, the 540 handpiece, the green handpiece, go over the skin at, you know, 16, 18 joules if it's a light skin patient, uh, 10 milliseconds, then come back with your pixel and do multiple passes. As long as it's layered. The thing is, think of your layers, and you don't want to treat the same place twice. So if you're treating reds and browns with the IPL handpiece, then you come back with your OB-MAG, you're not doubling over on those treatments. Yes?
0: What are your thoughts about using a laser for uh, allergy and a tattoo, tattoo allergy? That's
1: a great question. So the question is if you treat a tattoo that's allergic, what I do there is I normally premedicate with uh, uh, Benadryl and even some prednisone, and I always do a test spot first, that's the key thing, just to make sure it's not gonna have this untoward reaction. If you do a small area first, you'll usually be okay. The other thing is sometimes do intralesional steroids at the same time if it's a real kind of almost scar-like allergic tattoo reaction. You, I would never do a huge, Fortunately, most of these tattoos that are allergic, they're not huge, it's usually the red part, so it's not the whole tattoo, because there have been some instances of almost anaphylaxis. So I think the key thing is to cut the mast cells off before they have a chance to happen. because the reaction is short-lived, it'll go away after the laser pretty quickly. So the key thing is just that the patient doesn't have uh, mast cell release in, in, in a big way during the procedure. So Benadryl prednisone will help, and test spots. Yes? Yes?
0: Hi, what do you use for pain management for your fractionated CO2 treatments?
1: Pain management? Right. Yeah, pain management, okay. (laughs) Pain management for fractional CO2, if it's an aggressive fractional CO2, here's what I do. trochlear block, superorbital block, infraorbital block, mental block, 50 milligrams of Demerol, 25 milligrams of Vistaril, 10 milligrams of Valium PO, the other two IM, the Vistaril and Demerol, and then the cold air zimmer, and tumescence on the lateral cheeks. And if you do all that, you'll be okay, and topical, and topical numbing cream. So you do all those six things, you'll be okay. Or you take them to the OR. Because if you don't use tumescence on the lateral cheeks, particularly with the fractal repair, the patients oftentimes will move around during the procedure and you don't want that. Now you'll occasionally get the real tough patient who will do well even if you don't do all those things, or you'll get the really wimpy patient, no matter what you do, you have to take them to the OR because even if they feel a little bit of pain, they're gonna be lost for the remainder of the procedure. But I found doing like the fractal repair short of those things Some of my tougher patients, they'll get through the first 30 minutes and the last five minutes, they just sort of start crying. And they're not even crying out of pain, they're just crying out of sort of a, they just start losing it. And so I don't wanna have that. So I think you really have, I'd rather over treat for fractional CO2, really have them snookered a bit. You know, they're awake and talking, but they're really snookered a bit.
0: What do you regard as the best hair removal technology right now in terms of?
1: You know, if I had to pick one, if I took a typical demographic you know say where are we in phoenix phoenix is a little dark let's say omaha nebraska i've never been to omaha but I, I think it probably represents most of america if you go to omaha nebraska i would take an alexander or diode laser because i think 810 nanometers and 755 are the best two wavelengths within the context of efficacy and pain as long as the patient's not very tanned if the patient's very tanned or very dark then the yag laser would prevail but the problem with the yag laser it hurts more and the fluences with most of the systems aren't sufficient to treat lighter hair. So if you have a patient with brown hair, the YAG laser typically doesn't work as well. My favorite laser is the alexandrite laser overall. A, dis, a, 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 a close second would be the diode laser. Okay,
0: uh, last question. There was a, a little guy with an angioma on his cheek that you treated with an alexandrite. Right. My first instinct would have been to use the V-beam. I'm curious, you said it went away with one treatment. Is, is that a few?
1: I I normally do use the V-beam if it's a small hemangioma. So if it's a typical really tiny hemangioma, I'll use the V-beam because it's easier, it's quicker, and very low risk. But if somebody has a thicker hemangioma or a pyogenic granuloma, I'll try the Alexanderite first because you're going to get deeper penetration and have a better chance of getting a lesion at one time. But it has to be a bigger hemangioma, a really tiny one. I still would use the V-beam, I agree. Was that multiple pulses? That that was just one treatment, one pulse. 80 joules per centimeter squared, 50 to 80 joules per centimeter squared, a lot of DCD, 3 milliseconds. But it has to be in a white patient. if you treat the Alexanderite laser at those fluences on a darker patient, you're going to have an eight millimeter scab and the lesion will still go away, but you'll have eight millimeter scab around it. Yes? Yes?
0: Um, what laser do you recommend for skin tightening in the abdomen of a patient who's lost weight or a woman who's had a baby, and how effective is it?
1: Well, I generally don't do it. I've tried lots of things. I've tried the Palomar Deep IR handpiece. I've tried the uh, skin-tight handpiece, which is part of the BBL from Cyton. I've tried Thermage, although not recently, with the new Thermage. Uh, and I have found none of them really work that well. There are some fantastic pictures. We just saw one yesterday with Thermage. I don't know if the lady was bent like this in the post picture, but it was fantastic. I mean, I've never seen her. And all of us in the audience were amazed. So I do not believe from the skin surface right now, without doing something invasive, that we can actually make those, that excess skin go away. But there are people who are using Thermage now, I, didn't, I haven't used it in six years, who believe in it. They're getting better results. Uh, that might be a way to go. But I'm just not impressed with anything I've seen so far. Thank you. I have the uh, Fraxel repair device, and I have to say that the results can really be impressive, but it takes a very motivated and very compliant patient, especially with regards to the wound care. Yes. And it's obviously hard to recruit people for that procedure because of the pain issues and the downtime. I'm wondering what you think I could get in terms of results, downtime, Everything. If I use fractal repair at significantly lower energies with less density, could I expect to see results? Yeah, that's a great question. So let's say you take, let's say you do 40 millijoules and 40%, which is m- sort of a moderately aggressive fraxal repair. But let's say now you want to do 20 millijoules and 20%. Y- y- your results probably won't be as good. I haven't seen them as good. The redness will be the shorter lived. The pain, unfortunately, is still pretty bad. I mean, the problem is in the downtime may be two days less. The problem I've had with the fractal repair is that when you lower the settings, unless you go to five millijoules or 10 millijoules, uh, I haven't noticed the recovery is that much easier uh, and the results are are compromised. And the pain is only 10 or 15% less. I mean, all of the, the, one of the problems with Solta's devices, they're great because they uniformly deliver the pulses by the time you do four passes, but I just found scanning technology overall creates more pain than stamping technology. So there are advantages and disadvantages, but I don't think you should do less, except on the neck and chest. Obviously, you have to do less because there have been some bad scars now reported on the neck and chest, and higher pulse energies and higher density. So I think it, it still behooves you if you have a deeper wrinkled patient to go reasonably high densities, reasonably high depths, on the face. Off the face, the, the new teaching now off the face is don't go over 20 millijoules, and don't go over 20%. And that's probably reasonable. Okay, thanks a lot. Hello. Yes. Um, our practice is interested in acquiring a non-ablative Fraxel device. First, uh, any recommendations on a particular device, and then second, I'm unfamiliar with that technique, so is it usually a series of treatments, and if so, what interval? And yeah, that's is a great. That... It usually is a series of treatments, the optimal number of treatments. The question was, what fractional non-ablative technology? Well, I've only used uh, two extensively, and that's the Palomar system with the 1440 nanometer handpiece and 1540, which is a stamping technology, which I showed. And the other one I've used is the Fraxel Restore, which is the sort of the grandfather of fractional non-ablative resurfacing. And I think they're both very good. I, think I, I would say they're, they're equal. Um, some people like one over the other, and those. That you know, SinusShroom sure makes the affirm. I just don't have experience with it. It might be very good, but those are the two I know the best. And typically, you do three treatments. I do three treatments about a month, a month and a half apart. I don't do five or eight, that's what people were doing at one time. But then I'll have people come back maybe a, a half a year to a year for maintenance treatment. So I try to sell it like, we do three treatments, we see how you do, you come back a half year later and we'll reevaluate whether you need another treatment. And is that the case regardless of where you're treating neck, chest, exactly, yeah, face? Yeah, same thing. My, my algorithm's the same for neck, chest, and face. Because if you do five or six treatments, I think the last two or three don't add a lot of value. Generally you're speaking, about you're treating about 30 to 40% of the skin surface area per treatment. So you start doing five or six, You do cover more territory but uh, in the end the patient pays a lot more and i think the most of the satisfaction comes in the first three treatments so when the patient's at their maximal satisfaction point give them a break it, and because right. otherwise especially with melasma if you keep pushing with melasma you can make it worse so just very ginger with melasma one other question if you don't mind um, my supervising doc is talking a lot about liposuction and this uh, body jet lipo or something along yeah the I, I don't what know do you... you know body jet i don't know much about it. it's neat though it's a neat thing it, it circulates water through and kind of breaks up the fat but uh, I just don't know enough about it to speak Great. to it. Great. Thank you. Yes. Go
0: ahead. Uh, do you have any experience or knowledge of the, the use of a YAG laser for toenail fungus?
1: Uh, no, that's a new thing. I don't know much about it. It's called Barefoot Laser Centers. It's a franchise. They use a, it's, one of them is a diode laser, one's a YAG laser. They heat up the toenail a little bit. It's not so much heat. They sort of just gently heat the toenail and it's supposed to kill the fungus. And 10 months later, you have a happy nail. I don't know whether it's good or not. The, the science is good. There were some good articles in photochemistry and photobiology by the company, uh, where the company was one of the authors, and it worked pretty well. But I'm not sold on paying $1,500 to eliminate my toenail fungus. I'd probably just use a little uh, uh, Spornox, or daplexin. Yes.
0: Do you know anything about the Zerona and if it's effective? Zerona,
1: I'm very skeptical. I, it's a lot of fanfare. Um, I've talked to the rep several times. I just can't believe that a LED panel putting out low-power 630 nanometer light is gonna work for fat. I mean, I wish it did, but I think you could go outside, stick your you know, tummy in front of the don't walk, walk sign uh, with the light splashing and probably get the same result. I'm just, I'm just a skeptic, I, I can't believe in that. You know, it's, it's, and they also do two things, they, they have you drink water, and there's an exercise thing, it's, it's a program. Whenever there's a program, you know, I don't know, but I'm a skeptic, and a cynic. S- a second question, do you, um, how do you feel about the efficacy of the smooth beam for acne or acne scarring? The smooth beams okay. The smooth beam suffered from some growing pains early on. I think uh, candela may come out with a new smooth beam with a much bigger spot, lower fluences, and I think that's going to be much better, more practical. All right, thanks, you Have a safe trip back.